And welcome back, my friends, to the Freestyle Way podcast. My name is Carl Powley, your host, and today is kind of a sad day because today marks the end. Today's the last episode of season two of uh, the podcast, and it's been such a great run, and I didn't think I was going to end season two at this stage, but I've decided to do it, and I'm going to explain why after the intro music. So, Wicket, cue the music. This is the Freestyle Way. All right, my friends, let's get into this episode of the Freestyle Way podcast, which happens to be the season finale of season two, which sounds redundant. But before we get into why I'm ending this season, I want to give my friend Gabriel Jao Chico, aka B-Boy Wicked, a special shout out and thank you for being the mastermind and sound engineer behind this season. He has been there from the beginning, really helping me out, making sure that I get the audio quality right and making sure that all the levels are so that when you are listening, you can focus on the content and not have to worry so much about the uh, quality of the audio. So Gabriel Jao Chico, aka B-Boy Wicket, thank you. I love you. You are amazing. You're a great friend. And I am so excited to continue to collaborate with you. Also, the intro music, which today I let play a little longer because my friend Luis, one of the co-founders of Transplant, he always tells me, play the music a little longer. Play that intro a little longer. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Anyways, there you go, Luis. That's for you. And uh, if you guys want to support Wicket, you can go to bboywicketbeats.com and you can download his music, see what he's up to. You can also follow him on Instagram. Uh, he is not only an incredible dancer, but he has uh, a lot going on with uh, all of his projects, all of his traveling, and also producing music. So uh, bboywickets.com, <laughs> bboywickets, bboywicketbeats.com, that's where you can find him. And uh, yeah, support him in any way you can. Now, what is happening with the podcast? Well, it's not ending. This is not the end. This is just the end of season two and the beginning of the next iteration. And the next iteration is something I'm excited about because this is part of our evolution and our transformation and our process. And one of the things that I take pride in is in sharing the process, is in sharing the way that I think and the way that I believe we can curate, create, design a life that's worth living. And if you've been listening to the podcast and listen to the people that I've had a chance to sit down with, every single person has a unique path. And within that path, there have been moments of vulnerability where they've had to identify the things that they are the most afraid of. There have been moments of inspiration or clarity that have allowed them to move forward. And then they have committed and really stuck to trying to deliver on the thing that they believe that is the most 
authentic side of themselves that eventually has produced some outcomes that have given them a name, that have put them on the map, that has actually allowed them to make a positive impact in the world. And this has been something that has been inspiring for me to be able to be up close and listen to them speak about just through these conversations that we've had. And what has really come to my awareness is that in terms of my technical skills of developing this podcast, such as uh, finding the guest, uh, sitting down with the guest, recording the guest, sending all the files to Wicket, having Wicket uh, edit and send it back to me, listen to it, and then approve it, and then us posting it, and then distributing it. That's been an amazing process. And now that I know how to check those boxes, what's ended up happening is that uh, you start looking at how well are we performing. And then all of a sudden, you have your little key performance indicators, which are uh, how many listens are you getting, how many downloads, who is sharing it, how many people are sharing it. You start getting into this rat race, this rat race of chasing the numbers. And if you've ever heard me speak before, one of the things that I've always said is that true human performance is measured by feel. And if it feels right in your head and your heart and your gut, then you're trending in the right direction. And if you stick with that, over time, the numbers will follow. Well, as easy as it is for me to say something like that, it is inevitable to sometimes fall into the trap of chasing the numbers and wondering, oh man, well, we got a thousand listeners this week. How are we going to get 2,000, 3,000, 10,000, 100,000? How are we going to grow this podcast and how are we measuring it? And unfortunately, that's something that I fell into. I fell into the trap of wanting to grow the podcast and trying to measure it through the analytics. And although emotionally, I was completely aware that it's not about the numbers, but the quality of the numbers, which by the way, you guys have been amazing. Every single one of you guys who listens and who has taken the time to connect with me or one of the guests that I've had on the podcast, you've been incredible. And this is a little aside, the most incredible part and the thing that has filled my heart the most and made me feel the best has been having my mom and my dad and my siblings and my close friends actually listen. And the fact that they have taken the time to do that is a big deal for me. It's a first because in, in my career, of course, in anyone's career, it, it's hard to get your family and your, your close friends to uh, pay attention or to appreciate. And the fact that they have done that has been amazing. In fact, my mom, every Wednesday or Thursday, has uh, messaged me and told me that she listened to the podcast. My dad sent me an amazing message the other day that had me in tears. And my friend uh, Mike last night, also another co-founder of Transplant alongside Luis, who I mentioned earlier, he messaged me last night letting me know that he, he loved the last episode and he just encouraged me to keep going. And that to me is so special. And it just has made me realize that if I want to take this podcast to the next level, I also need to take my presentation to the next level. And one of the things that in my career has been the anchor 
that has allowed me to stick to a process and to make the biggest impact is always leveling up in the way that I curate my content. I curate the information that I'm delivering. For example, if you've uh, read my book, Freestyle, you know that it's a manual for a seminar, but it's not a book that you necessarily have to read cover to cover. You can choose your own adventure. In addition to that, we made sure that we had an amazing style guide. We worked with two beautiful designers, uh, Ryan Smith, aka Smitty, and uh, Nick D'Amico. And I also had uh, an awesome co-author, Tony Sherbondi, who helped me curate this book in a way where it is timeless and it is a piece of art. And the way that I look at this podcast is the same way. I want this to be a piece of art. And in order for it to be a piece of art, I need to take my ability to present the content to the next level. And what that looks like, well, I can't really tell you at the moment. I want it to be a surprise for season three which I can't tell you now when it's going to come out, but it it will be uh, coming out hopefully by the end of this year or early 2020. It's going to be next level and it's going to be something that you're really going to appreciate and that is going to allow me to artistically express myself at a higher level and allow you to connect with the material at a deeper level. So that's why season two is ending is because I don't want to chase the numbers. I don't want to uh, chase the people who have the biggest audience or the biggest following so I can get the most amount of traction. I want to make the deepest impact. And in order to make the deepest impact, I need to go a little deeper inside of me and then produce this in a way that's going to really connect with the individual in a way that I think will transcend uh, what my guests and what I am saying. Now, I want to introduce you to the evolution of the Freestyle Way podcast. And the way that I want to do this is by sharing one of my favorite TED Talks of all time by Benjamin Zander, who, if you don't know who Benjamin Zander is, he is an English conductor who is currently the musical director of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And in this TED Talk, he talks about the transformative power of classical music. And the reason I want to share this talk with you guys is because the message itself is beautiful, but what is even more powerful for me is his ability to tell a story. And the way that he does it is not just through effective and efficient communication and articulating the message, but also in the way that he engages with his audience. He's having a dialogue and he includes music into it in order to evoke the emotions that are associated with the concepts that he's sharing. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave you with Benjamin Zander and his TED Talk about the transformative power of classical music, and I'm going to weave in and out of this talk to share and highlight some of the teaching moments in order for you to see how they can translate into your own performance regardless of your craft. So 
without further ado, here's Benjamin Zander with his TED Talk, The Transformative Power of Classical Music. Probably a lot of you know the story of the two salesmen who went down to Africa in the 1900s. They were sent down to find if there was any opportunity for selling shoes. And they wrote telegrams back to Manchester. And one of them wrote, Situation hopeless. Stop. They don't wear shoes. And the other one wrote, Glorious opportunity. They don't have any shoes yet. Now, there's a similar situation in the classical music world, because there are some people who think that classical music is dying, and there are some of us who think you ain't seen nothing yet. And rather than go into statistics and trends and tell you about all the orchestras that are closing and the record companies that are folding, I thought we should do an experiment tonight. An experiment. Actually, it's not really an experiment, because I know the outcome. But it's like an experiment. Now, before we, <laughs> before we start, I need to do two things. One is I want to remind you of what a seven-year-old child sounds like when he plays the piano. Maybe you have this child at home. He sounds something like this. Some of you recognize this child. Now, if he practices for a year and takes lessons, he's now eight and he sounds like this. And then he practices for another year and takes lessons. Now he's nine. And then he practices for another year and takes lessons. Now he's ten. At that point, they usually give up. <laughs> now, if you'd waited, if you'd waited for one more year, you would have heard this. was not maybe what you thought, which was he suddenly became passionate, engaged, involved, got a new teacher, he hit, pu hit puberty, or whatever it is. What actually happened was the impulses were reduced. You see, the first time he was playing with an impulse on every note. And the second, with an impulse every other note. You can see it by looking at my head. The th the nine-year-old nine put an impulse on every four notes. And the ten-year-old on every eight notes. And the eleven-year-old one impulse on the whole phrase. I, know, I don't know how we got into this position. I didn't say I'm going to move my shoulder over, move my body. No, the music pushed me over, which is why I call it one buttock playing. Can be the other button. All right, so let me jump in right here 
and make notice that Benjamin Zander, the way that he opens the talk is by telling people a joke where in this joke or in this story, he showcases that there are two types of people, the people who see opportunity and the people who do not see opportunity. My question to you is, do you see the opportunities in front of you? The second thing Benjamin does is he says, okay, now that you know that I'm the one that sees opportunity, instead of giving you the doom and gloom and how everything in terms of the number and the statistics are going down when it comes to classical music, I want to show you the opportunity. And I'm going to show you the opportunity that exists within this world of classical music by giving you an example. And the example that he sets is an example of progression, where he talks about the kid learning how to play the piano, where it was kind of wonky, and then as the years go on, it becomes smoother and smoother and smoother until the breakthrough happens, and there is one fluid motion. And that fluid motion sounds good, feels good, even looks good. And something that you can't see because you're listening to this, but as he's playing that one fluid piece, he is leaning over onto one side and he's sitting on one butt cheek. And that's why he calls it the one buttock plane. And this is where he says, now that you've gotten into a place where your craft has transcended into this one body of work, the body of work itself moves you. One buttock playing. Can be the other buttock. You know, a gentleman was once watching uh, a presentation I was doing and I was working with a young pianist. He was the president of a corporation in Ohio. And I was working with this young pianist and I said, the trouble with you is you're a two-buttock player. You should be a one-buttock player. And I moved his body like that while he was playing. Suddenly the music took off, took flight. There was a gasp in the audience when they heard the difference. And then I got a letter from this gentleman. He said, I was so moved, I went back and I transformed my entire company into a one-buttock company. Now, the other thing I want to do is to tell you about you. There are 1,600 people, I believe. My estimation is that probably 45 of you are absolutely passionate about classical music. You adore classical music. Your FM is always on that classical dial, and you have CDs in your car, and you go to the symphony, and your children are playing instruments. You can't imagine your life without classical music. That's the first group. It's quite a small group. Then there's another group, bigger group. These are the people who don't mind classical music. You know, you come home from a long day and you take a glass of wine and you put your feet up, a little Vivaldi in the background doesn't do any harm, right? That's the second group. Now comes the third group. These are the people who never listen to classical music. It's just simply not part of your life. You might hear it like secondhand smoke at the airport, but, and, and maybe a little bit of a march from Aida when you come into the hall, but otherwise you never hear it. That's probably the largest group of all. And then there's a very small group. These are the people who, who think they're tone deaf. Amazing number of people think they're tone deaf. Actually, I hear a lot, my husband is tone deaf. <laughs> Actually, you cannot be tone deaf. Nobody is tone deaf. If you were tone deaf, you couldn't change the gears on your car, in a stick shift car. You couldn't tell the difference between somebody from Texas and somebody from Rome. And the telephone, the telephone. If, some, if your mother calls on their miserable telephone, she calls and says, hello, you not only know who it is, you know what mood she's in. 
You have a fantastic ear. Everybody has a fantastic ear. So nobody is tone deaf. But I tell you what, it doesn't work for me to go on with this thing with such a wide gulf between those who understand, love, and passionate about classical music and those who have no relationship to it at all. The tone-deaf people, they're no longer here. But even between those three categories, it's too wide a gulf. So I'm not going to go on until every single person in this room, downstairs and in Aspen, and everybody else looking, will come to love and understand classical music. So that's what we're going to do. Now, you notice that there is not the slightest doubt So this is a part that I find fascinating, which is this notion where Mr. Xander says, guys, I'm going to tell you about you. And then he divides the group into different segments. Those who can't live without classical music, those who don't care much for it, but it's in their life just because it's maybe part of their tradition or culture. They don't mind it. And then those who feel like uh, it's just not for me. I am not a classical music kind of person. And this, my friends, doesn't just apply to classical music. It applies to everything. And one of the things that we have talked a lot about in the Freestyle Way podcast is self-development. A lot of people feel like self-development is not for me. I am fine. I am doing great. I am performing at a very high level. I have achieved things already. I don't need a podcast or some guy in San Francisco to tell me what to do about my life. And this is exactly the point that Benjamin Zander is making when it comes to classical music. And in this next segment, I want you to pay attention to how he is communicating his passion for classical music in a way that is universal and applicable to everyone. And he does that through the power of our emotions, which is at the base level of every single person in this world. So listen in on this next segment and how he does this. That there is not the slightest doubt in my mind, that this is going to work, if you look at my face, right? (laughs) It's one of the characteristics of a leader that he not doubt for one moment the capacity of the people he's leading to realize whatever he's dreaming. Imagine if Martin Luther King had said, I have a dream! Of course, I'm not sure they'll be up to it. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to take a piece of Chopin. This is a beautiful prelude by Chopin. Some of you will know it. probably happened in this room. When I started, you thought, how beautiful that sounds. I don't think we should go to the same place for our summer holidays next year. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? It's funny. 
how those thoughts kind of waft into your head when we're listening to classical music. And of course... And of course, if peace is long and you've had a long day, you might actually drift off. And then your companion will dig you in the ribs and say, wake up, it's culture! And then you feel even worse. But has it ever occurred to you that the reason you feel sleepy in classical music is not because of you, but because of us? Did anybody think while I was playing, why is he using so many impulses? If I'd done this with my head... You so, at this point in the talk, there's a pivotal change that happens where now Benjamin Zander acknowledges that the problem is not you, but rather I. I, the person who's delivering the message, is not doing good enough of a job to hold your focus, aka to entertain you. And this is where now Benjamin Zander's mastery comes out, where he presents how the technical aspects of playing music in sync with the emotional aspects of music can really convey a message that although may be universal, has an individualized expression in each person receiving the message. So pay close attention to how Xander does this. So let's see what's really going on here. We have a B. This is a B. The next note is a C. And the job of the C is to make the B sad. And it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Composers know that. If they want sad music, they just play those two notes. But basically, it's just a B with four sads. <laughs> now it goes down to A. And now to G. And then to F. So we have B, A, G, F. And if we have B, A, G, F, what do we expect next? Oh, that might have been a fluke. Let's try it again. Ooh, the Ted Choir. And you notice... <laughs> you notice nobody is tone deaf. Is that right? Nobody is... You know, every village in Bangladesh and every uh, 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 hamlet in, in, in China, everybody knows. Da, 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 da. Da. Everybody knows who's expecting that E. Now, Chopin didn't want to reach the E there because what will have happened? It'll be over, like Hamlet. Do you remember Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 3? He finds out that his uncle killed his father. You remember, he keeps on going up to his uncle and almost killing him. And then he backs away, and then he goes up to him again and almost kills him. And the critics, all of whom sitting in the back row there, they have to have an opinion. So they say, Hamlet is a procrastinator. <laughs> or they say, Hamlet has an Oedipus complex. No, otherwise the play would be over, stupid. That's why Shakespeare puts all that stuff in Hamlet, you know, Ophelia going mad and the play within the play and Yorick's skull and the gravediggers. That's in order to delay until Act 5 he can kill him. It's the same with the Chopin. He's just about to reach the E and he says, oops, better go back up and do it again. So he does it again. Now he gets excited. That's excitement, you don't have to worry about it. Now he gets to F sharp and finally he goes down to E. But it's the wrong chord. Because the chord he's looking for is this one. Right. And it said he does. Now we call that a deceptive cadence. Because it deceives us. I always tell my students, if you have a deceptive cadence, be sure to raise your eyebrows, then everybody will know. <laughs> All right. So he gets to E, but it's the wrong chord. Now he tries E again. That chord doesn't work. Now he tries E again. 
That chord doesn't work. Now he tries, tries E again. That doesn't work. And then finally, there was a gentleman in the front row who went, mm, like that. It was the same gesture he makes when he comes home after a long day, turns off the key in his car and says, ah, oh, I'm home. Because we all know where home is. So this is a piece which goes from away to home. And I'm going to play it all the way through, and you're going to follow. B, C, B, C, B, C, B, D, down to A, down to G, down to F, almost goes to E, but otherwise the play would be over. Goes back up to B, gets very excited, goes to F sharp, goes to E, it's the wrong chord, it's the wrong chord, it's the wrong chord, and finally goes to E, and it's home. And what you're going to see is one buttock playing. Because for me to join the B to the E, I have to stop thinking about every single note along the way and start thinking about the long, long line from B to E. You know, we were just in South Africa, and uh, you can't go to South Africa without thinking of Mandela in jail for 27 years. What was he thinking about, lunch? No, he was thinking about the vision for South Africa and for human beings. That's what cares. This is about vision. This is about the long line, like the bird who flies over the field and doesn't care about the fences underneath. All right? So now you're going to follow the line all the way from B to E. And I have one last request before I play this piece all the way through. Would you think of somebody who you adore who's no longer there? A beloved grandmother, a lover, somebody in your life who you love with all your heart but that person is no longer with you. Bring that person into your mind and at the same time, follow the line all the way from B to E and you'll hear everything that Chopin had to say. So for me personally, this is such a big part of the conversation that I'm trying to have here on the podcast, which is this notion that technical abilities are fantastic to have as a foundation, just like Benjamin Zander is acknowledging that in music, it's almost like math, it's numbers, that it gets to a point where you're expecting to have a certain outcome. And the artistry, the adaptive side of things, is where you're able to mix it up, is to give people the unexpected. And the way that you do that is you take the long road, the long path, and really start to look at the bigger vision. And now, one of the things that he does so well with what he's about to showcase as he plays this piece is that he includes what you care about in the piece itself by simply asking you to bring to your awareness someone who has been in your life and is currently not there anymore. And for me, when I did this exercise, I've done it a couple times actually. I did it once with my grandma, once with my grandpa, and I experienced the music completely different. And I want you to do me a favor right now. If you're listening and you're driving your car, I want you to pull over. If you are on a run, I want you to just start walking. If you are listening in your room, make sure that you're paying full attention and just dedicate 100% of your awareness to thinking about that person, just like Benjamin Zander said, that is not in your life as he plays this piece. And I will check in with you on the back end of it.
That's pretty intense stuff, huh? I don't know what you experienced, but when I did this exercise the first time, I had tears running down my face because I got to relive my relationship with my grandma all over again from remembering us being kids and having her come visit us in Spain and us going to Sweden to visit her and her making jokes and uh, doing silly things that would make us laugh or showing us the old ways and the ways that she grew up and then also remembering the day that she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and how that affected my mom and my grandpa and then how she slowly started to fade away. And as she was fading away, us losing the ability to be able to communicate with her the same way we used to. But one day realizing, and this is what this piece brought out as uh, Benjamin Zander was playing it, was one day when we went to visit her towards the tail end of her life where she couldn't speak, she couldn't walk, but we took her out to the deck that was uh, right behind where she was living at the time. And it was a sunny day in Sweden and when it was nice and warm outside. And I remember we were sitting around her holding her hand and me... Me... Me giving her a massage as I used to when I was a kid. And at that moment, her connecting with me the same way she had been able to connect when she was healthy. And that was such a powerful moment. And this, my friends, this is the power of being able to tell authentic, genuine stories in a way that allows us to connect with this life that we're living, which is such a gift. And to realize that it doesn't end here, like this continues going on. And it's really up to us to fully participate in this experience. And this is why this talk is so powerful for me and I believe it can be powerful for you too and it doesn't end here this talk with Benjamin continues on and I want you to listen to what he says next which relates to the reason I'm ending season two of the podcast and ready to start season three you may be wondering. You may be wondering why I'm clapping. Well, I did this at a school in Boston with about 70, uh, seventh graders, 12 year olds. And I did exactly what I did with you, and I told them and explained them the whole thing. And at the end, they went crazy, clapping. They were clapping. I was clapping. They were clapping. Finally, I said, Why am I clapping? And one of these little kids said, Because we were listening. <laughs> Think of it, 1,600 people, busy people involved in all sorts of different things, listening, understanding, and being moved by a piece by Chopin. Now, that is something. Now, am I sure that every single person followed that, understood it, was moved by it? Of course, I can't be sure, but i tell you what happened to me. I was in Ireland during the Troubles 10 years ago, 
and I was working with some Catholic and Protestant kids uh, on conflict resolution, and I did this with them. Risky thing to do, because they were street kids. And one of them came to me the next morning, and he said, you know, I've never listened to classical music in my life, but when you played that shopping piece, (laughs) he said, my brother was shot last year, and I didn't cry for him. But last night, when you played that piece, he was the one I was thinking about. And I felt the tears streaming down my face, and you know it felt really good to cry for my brother. So I made up my mind at that moment that classical music is for everybody. Everybody. Now, how would you walk? Because you know my profession, the music profession, doesn't see it that way. They say 3% of the population likes classical music. If only we could move it to 4%, our problems would be over. I say, how would you walk? How would you talk? How would you be if you thought 3% of the population likes classical music? If only we could move it to 4%. How would you walk? How would you talk? How would you be if you thought everybody loves classical music? They just haven't found out about it yet. (laughs) See, these are totally different worlds. Now... I had an amazing experience. I was 45 years old. I'd been conducting for 20 years. And I suddenly had a realization. The conductor of an orchestra doesn't make a sound. My picture appears on the front of the CD. (laughs) But the conductor doesn't make a sound. He depends for his power on his ability to make other people powerful. And that changed everything for me. It was totally life-changing. People in my orchestra came up to me and said, Ben, what happened? That's what happened. I realized my job was to awaken possibility in other people. And of course, I wanted to know whether I was doing that. And you know how you find out? You look at their eyes. If their eyes are shining, you know you're doing it. (laughs) You could light up a village with this guy's eyes. Right. So if if the eyes are shining... And this is it, my friends. This this is it. This is what, as a leader, for me as a coach, is to awaken the possibility that it's possible. It's for me within this podcast to be able to have conversation that for you, when you listen, you feel like there is a chance that what I'm dreaming of, what I am imagining, what I want to achieve is possible. Someone else has done it in some capacity, and if they haven't, they've at least done parts of it. So the technical is out there. But I need to bridge the gap in between those technical components with who I am. And in order to do that, I need to ask myself some very simple questions, which Benjamin addresses here in a second. You know you're doing it. If the eyes are not shining, you get to ask a question. And this is the question. Who am I being that my player's eyes are not shining? We can do that with our children too. Who am I being that my children's eyes are not shining? That's a totally different world. Now, we're all about to end this magical on the mountain week and we're going back into the world and I say it's appropriate for us to ask the question who are we being as we go back out into the world and you know I have a definition of success for me it's very simple it's not about wealth and fame and power it's about how many shining eyes I have around me so now I have one last thought which is that it really makes a difference what we say the words that come out of our mouth I learned this from a woman 
who survived Auschwitz, one of the rare survivors. She went to Auschwitz when she was 15 years old. And um, her brother was eight. And the parents were lost. And um, she told me this. She said, we were in the train going to Auschwitz. And I looked down and I saw my brother's shoes were missing. And I said, why are you so stupid? Can't you keep your things together, for goodness sake? The way an elder sister might speak to a younger brother. Unfortunately, it was the last thing she ever said to him because she never saw him again. He did not survive. And so when she came out of Auschwitz, she made a vow. She told me this. She said, I walked out of Auschwitz into life and I made a vow. And the vow was, I will never say anything that couldn't stand as the last thing I ever say. Now, can we do that? No, and we'll make ourselves wrong and others wrong. But it is a possibility to live into. Thank you. Shining eyes. <laughs> Shining eyes. And there you have it, my friends. Benjamin Zander with this amazing TED Talk that inspired me in so many ways and continues to inspire me. And I hope inspired you too. And maybe with a little bit of my commentating in between, you get an idea of where I'm standing and how I really believe in those closing remarks of the way that we're behaving today, the way that we're acting, the way that we're communicating may just be our last. So why not pay attention to that? Why not be aware of that? Why not try to ask ourselves, who are we? Who are we being right now? How are we communicating this? Because I believe if we do that, we can start moving the needle towards our true selves, which I believe that's where the highest level of performance is found. And I think that's where mastery is found and where we can anchor a body of work that will be the legacy that we leave behind us. And that's what I want to do with this podcast. I want this podcast to be part of that legacy. And in order for me to level up, like I said, I need to take my ability to communicate and tell stories and include the people that I have been inspired by and that I intend to search out to continue to be inspired by and educated by and share that with you in a way that is true to who I am without having to worry about the numbers, but rather become more impact-focused, more shiny-eyed, focused. And this is something that you guys have helped me understand and see as this season has gone on with your beautiful messages you've been sending me. And when I've met you in person, you've shared with me what you got out of this podcast. And I thank you for that. It's been a gift and I cannot wait to now dive into curating season three and sharing it with you guys very soon. <laughs>